So, hey, we're in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, and then I'm, I'm actually going to dig into the next uh, little section as well there that uh, Liz just read to you. But this passage uh, deals with something, and it might even make you kind of feel icky because it's kind of talking about this poor old widow who goes and gives everything that she has to live on. And it kind of reminds you, when you think about this in a religious scenario, it kind of reminds you of maybe a TV preacher. It might remind you of somebody who is going after uh, poor old women and saying, just give everything to God and he'll take care of you. I was talking to Brian Bradley, who uh, is preaching out in uh, Silverton today. And he was saying that he remembers uh, long before he was really walking with Jesus, like watching a TV preacher and this TV preacher saying, listen, you don't have money in the bank account. Don't worry about it. We take credit cards like you like you can you can give to the church on a credit card like that's a new concept of uh, of giving that is just totally awful. And it just turns your stomach. So many people uh, see the church and religious organizations as corrupt. I have somebody in my family whom I, 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 I love. It's actually my wife's family, um, but is now my family on, on some level. Um, but every time I see him, I love him to death. He says, uh, how's the business? And uh, I know what he means by that. Like, your church is a business. And we've had some conversations, and I... And uh, I'd like to think that he's joking, but he's not joking. He really sees church as a business, and so he asked me that. And so this last time, when he asked me that just the other day, I said, uh, business is great. We just raised $50,000 to feed 330 families. So yeah, and that shut him up pretty fast, right? Uh, yeah. That was a great takedown. That was a Christ-like thing to do. So um, yeah, <laughs> bragging about what we gave. I'm sure we, none of you have any rewards now. Uh, because I just announced your giving, so uh, my bad. You'll eternally pay for that. Um, so we have these people in in our world that look that look at this stuff in this way, and they they uh, they see the church like this, and it's man, what do you do about that? How do we how do we deal with this? This series is called Real Jesus because we want to show who the real Jesus is. You can look at this passage and you can see it in one way and really miss the heart of who Jesus is. You can miss what he is actually uh, trying to do. But I think there's some truths in here that would really be helpful. No, and I'll just say this. This is helpful for me as well. I grew up in a fundamentalist uh, Christian environment um, that was, uh, although we said we weren't works-based, uh, that's what was communicated and so when I see the real Jesus, when I see who he actually is, it warms my heart. It changes my perspective. And so I'm, I'm thankful for this passage. And so the passage says that Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. So what's happening here is that Jesus is sitting in the temple. He's sitting in the temple, and it's, it's, uh, it's near the court of women and kind of maybe off to the side. There are these 13 offering, different offering boxes. There's these historians like Josephus and other rabbis and stuff that we have read, and they, they describe this thing to us, but there's 13 different offering boxes there. 
And it sounds like they were, they were kind of shaped like a trumpet, but I have no idea how this works. But there's this trumpet shape. And when you go to put money, which was coins in that day, when you go to put money in this offering box that is trumpet shaped, uh, what happens is this, is that if you're rich and you walk up and you've got like a handful of coins or maybe your servant's like carrying your box of, of offering there and so you're like, let's start digging in here. You know, just like all of this racket happening as you're dumping in. Oh, I dropped a few, got too many, you know, like you're, you're throwing it into this thing and there's this racket that's happening and people are going, oh, praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh. Oh, yes, yes, that's going to help build the whatever, the children's wing, or <laughs> uh, that's going to, oh, praise Yahweh, that's going to that's be fantastic. And then no one's really watching. No one's really looking. No one, someone very insignificant is in line. And she's walking up, and she, who, I mean, what's she like? She's an old woman, and she's poor. She's feeble. She's dressed like she's poor, and she's old. And she walks up, and she's, you know, shaking a little bit. And she drops in, ding, ding, two coins. That's all. And Jesus is sitting close enough. It's a toll-free call. I better get that. Hello? No, never mind. Sorry. Uh, that was... Uh, I'm sure that was a scam. Now I'm going to get 57 more calls. Sorry, I didn't silence my phone. Please silence your phones before you come in here, all right? What was I even talking about now? Like, yeah, the two coins. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, all right. So forget the phone call. This one walks up, puts in two coins. Ding, ding, right? Jesus is sitting close enough that he sees what she puts in. He's sitting right there. And he's thinking about it. And I think his disciples are sitting there too because there's another parallel passage that says, and Jesus said to his disciples, he turns to him and he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them because they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The words there, all she had to live on, if you translate it, it's, it essentially says something like, she gave all her life. This was the life that she had left in her. She gave this small amount. Now, the way that this passage is normally looked at is it's, it's called the widow's might uh, on some level, like culturally, that's what we call it. But there, it's looked at fondly. And it's looked at fondly because it's like, man, look at this old woman and her devotion to God and everything that she's doing as she puts in these two coins. Look at, look at her and, and what she does there. But then you have to ask the question, does Jesus really believe 
that people should give beyond their means. I mean, in some ways, it is the equivalent of somebody giving to God out of a credit card. That's what, that's what it seems like. Is that really what Jesus is asking of you? Is that really what he wants? And I would say this, just at the top, that I don't believe that that's what Jesus wants. There's much more to the story here. I don't think that Jesus wants you to give those two coins that you have left to eat on. She essentially has two bucks left. She can get a burger and a small drink at a local restaurant, and that's about it. Off the 99-cent menu, that's all she has left, and I don't think that that's what Jesus really wants here. Let me say that at the top. But what we can take from this is that there's a principle here that we should give out of abundance. I'm sorry, that these guys are giving out of their abundance. And what that means is that it hasn't really affected them. It hasn't, like this is residual money. It hasn't really affected them when they give. It hasn't really affected their lifestyle. They haven't really gone without anything in relation to God. They just kind of like, you know, they have tons of money. They have enough to live on. They have, you know, a new horse. They have whatever it is. Uh, they have nice garments. They have plenty of food. Um, and this is just kind of some extra. They're giving out of their abundance. Jesus says she gave out of her poverty. What is Jesus communicating here? Spurgeon says this. He says, Christ measures what we, re- what we really give by what we have left. Christ measures what we really give by what we have left. So there's a principle there that, that says that on some level, what we give to God should be sacrificial. Like there should be some sacrifice that goes into this. That there should be this sense of like, I'm doing without in this area in order to honor God. And in, in some ways, I just, I just need to tell you that when it comes to giving, when it comes to philanthropy, when it comes to how we give to other people, like in, in, my, in my mind, like I want to think about that because that's a number that's fairly you know, significant. Like it's significant and I could buy other things with that dollar amount. So on some level, I wanna be like, man, I want, if I'm going to give that, I want to feel it. I want to to say, man, this is something that I could be doing something else with, and instead I'm giving it to God. But then there's another sense of, like, when I give to God, when I give to him the first fruits of what he's given to me, when I honor him with how I've made money, when I honor him with all, all that stuff, what happens is I'm saying thank you, but I'm also saying I'm dependent on you. On some level, I don't just have like residual abundance, uh, abundant cash left over. I have this much for this and this much for that. And that, there's a house payment and there's food and there's doctor bills and there's, there's this and then and, and maybe a little bit of savings and then, there's, and then there's what's left over here. And so how does God view what we give. Christ measures what we really give by what we have left. And in the American church today, I mean, you hear it in country songs all, all, 
you know, occasionally throw an extra five in the plate, you know, something like that. Uh, give a little bit here, give a little bit there. Sometimes we can come to church and, and be like, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll throw in a little something. I'll throw in a little something for, uh, for God. And really what we're doing is we're giving out of abundance. And Jesus is communicating one thing. There's a principle here, and that is that he wants us to give in a way that's sacrificial. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. They ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. C.S. Lewis is saying, listen, like there, there, there should be some measure of like, I can't do this because I gave that. I can't, I can't actually operate on the same level. I mean, that, that, that is convicting for me. That's convicting for me. Like, I mean, I, as a pastor, I, I still want to keep up with the Joneses, you know? I, I, still, I still want to have a nice and tidy house. I still want to have a car uh, that doesn't break down on me. I still want to have all of those things. I want to be there, but, like, I really have to ask myself, like, is my giving to God, is it proportional? Is it sacrificial? Is it any of those things? And the answer sometimes is, is just no. And it's really because I've been caught up in American Christianity or Americanized Christianity that says God just wants me to be happy. And I can be thankful for everything that is given to me, but it's a whole nother thing to give sacrificially. And so Jesus is pointing this out, and he really is saying that there's more in what this woman gives. She gave a much higher percentage. She gave 100%. She gave a much higher percentage than this guy. But here's the problem with everything I just told you. That's not really Jesus' point here. That's not what he's saying. It, there's, there's a principle there that's true. We should give sacrificially. But that's not really Jesus' point. What's he doing? If you look at the next couple of verses here, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What's Jesus talking about? So you have this story about this, this woman who gives, and you can kind of think, man, isn't that a great story about how this woman gave everything, and it really was more than all of these rich people. But the problem is, is that doesn't go along with the context of what is happening in the book of Luke. When, when Luke begins his book, he's writing to somebody who... Is, is some type of a government official, I think. 
And he says, I, I wanted to write to you, Theophilus, that's, that was his name, an orderly account. I wanted to give you an orderly account. Luke's intent when he's writing this is he wants an orderly account. It's not just, here's a series of random stories that I, I thought I should tell you about Jesus. Oh, and by the way, you should give. Oh, and by the way, the temple's going to be destroyed. No, that's not what Luke is doing. That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus just said there is he said, there's going to come a time when this, this temple that you're standing in right now is going to be completely wiped out. It's going to be judged. It says in another passage, a parallel passage, that his disciples were like, man, look how awesome this place is. Isn't it beautiful? It's awesome. I mean, like, look at the paint on the walls. Look at this. It sounds like there was like this giant gold chain that was hanging on the wall that was given from Herod. I mean, there's just all kinds of things. It's ornate. It's illustrious. That's the first time I've used that word in a sermon. Uh, what else? Okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's this amazing place. But Jesus says, yeah, it's all going to be torn down. It's all going to be torn down. Why did he say that? Why did Jesus say that? Well, if you look at the passage just before that we taught on uh, last week, Jesus had wrapped up a long series of conversations with Pharisees and, and then here with the scribes. And he turns to his disciples and he says, I want you to watch out for people like this. This scribe. Who's a scribe? He's essentially a pastor in that temple. I don't know if Jesus is pointing at him. I don't know if he... But he's... They're, they're there. They're within hearing distance of what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says, I want you to watch out for them. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looks, looks at those guys and he says, those guys are condemned. And then you got the story where he's sitting there and he's watching all these rich people dump this money in, making this huge clanking sound. And then the woman comes, drops the two pennies in, walks away. And Jesus says, she gave everything that she had. That guy gave nothing Oh, and by the way, this place is going to burn to the ground. This place is going to burn to the ground. What's that say about the widow's offering? What'd she give two pennies for? Why'd she give that? It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's like she gave up her life for this, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, like, this is absurd. This is crazy. See, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is exposing the decay of the religious establishment in his day. Jesus is pointing out all of the problems with this religious establishment that says, give to God in order to get Jesus is opposing a religious establishment that, as I just told you, devours widows' houses. 
He's opposing this, and then all of a sudden, he tells a story about a widow who's giving everything. They're devouring her house. They're devouring her, her life, with this religion. See, there's a lot of people that say, I I, I don't really like organized religion. I don't really like all that stuff. And the reason is, is because you see the guy on TV who's doing that. You hear the stories over and over again about sexual misconduct. And you hear all of these things and you just go, man, those guys are corrupt. They're taking advantage of people. They treat the church like it's a business. They're taking advantage of, of people who have needs. You use it as a crutch. Well, guess what? Jesus feels the same way. Did you know that? Did you know that when Jesus sees corrupt religion, he gets real mad? And rightfully so. Because what he just pronounced about this temple is judgment. It's judgment. But see, the judgment doesn't just come on them. Because here's the deal. Is that uh, the religious establishment is just as unchristian as the unchristian establishment, as the secular establishment. The problem with religion in that sense is that it's operating just the same way that the world does. See, what they're doing there is what's commonplace here, right here and right now. And if Jesus were sitting right here, right now, in our presence, this is what would be communicated. See, we oftentimes give in order to receive. We give in order to receive. Let's take our our marriage, for instance. What do you give in order to receive? Listen, like when you get into an argument, listen, I've been here all the time. I'm always there for you. How come you're not here for me? I go to work and I make a paycheck and, you know, I'm providing for this family. How come you can't? We give in order to receive. You know, I'm just tired of giving to my friend. Like, I just keep giving and giving and giving and they never give back. You can do that with your work. You know what? After all that I've done for them, like I show up early. I'm honest. I don't take anything. We give in order to receive. See, sometimes we treat God like he's our own personal slot machine. See, that's just a small example in everyday life of how we treat our giving. We give in order to receive. But then we come to God and we say, all right, God. He's put this, I don't know where you put money in a slot machine. I've never used one before, but uh, I'm just assuming it's right there, okay? And then you just go, all right, here we go. Big money, big money. Woo! Come on, God. I'm hoping to receive. I'm, ho- I'm hoping for a good one here. Come on, pour out the blessings. Let's go. God as personal slot machine. Tim Keller tells this great story called the horse and the carrot and in that story it what happens is this there's this farmer and he's uh 
he grows this enormous carrot and he takes it to the king and he says my lord this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow therefore I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you so the king is touched he discerns the man's heart that he really is loving towards him that he really respects this king and so as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. Listen, you, you gave this out of the kindness of your heart. You wanted me to have this enormous carrot. And so here you go. Well, what was happening was there was a, uh, a nobleman who was sitting in the king's court and he says this to himself, he says, my, if this is what you can get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? I mean, that would be pretty great. So next day, the nobleman comes before the king, and he's leading this incredible black stallion, this horse. And he bows low and says, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerns his heart and says, thank you. And he takes the horse and dismisses the nobleman. The nobleman is perplexed. And he's like, what? I thought I'd put a coin in the slot machine. I thought, I thought I gave something. I thought, I thought I did something for you. And you're supposed to do something back for me. I saw you do it with that guy, with a stinking carrot. I got an amazing horse here. He says, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, we come to God and we give in order that we might receive something in return. We come to God and we give a little bit of our time. We give a little bit out of our abundance. We give something like that and we're, we're expecting to receive something in return. This is the way that business works. Businesses in, in our day and age are constantly about giving in order to receive. They, what philanthropic things are they involved in? And they talk about those things and they become diamond level giving members and they're at banquets and they're at parties and they're at things in order to be seen as somebody who's associated with this because they wanna give in order to receive. Receive what? Receive a reputation. Receive a reputation for being somebody who is philanthropic somebody who is compassionate. And what has gone from being conspicuous consumption has been turned into conspicuous compassion. Where it's like, I just want to announce to everyone that this is what I'm doing. You think of Tom's shoes uh, a few years ago. I don't even know if they're, they're still around, but you would buy a pair of Tom's shoes and they would give a pair to some uh, needy child in Africa or wherever it was. 
they'd give a pair of shoes away. And so you could walk around in Tom's shoes and have this sense of, it's not just that like, hey, I got a new pair of shoes. It's like, hey, I bought a pair of shoes so that I could give a pair of shoes to someone else. See, we give in order to receive, and that receiving also comes in the, in the form of reputation. What do you think the guy's taking out of the box going, all right, here we go. Got to do my, my weekly giving. Here it is. Conspicuous compassion so that you can build a reputation so that you may feel better about yourself. See, that's what was going on there in this rotting religious establishment, but it's also what happens in our hearts. But you can also give in order to receive a sense of redemption. You can give in order to receive, you can, you can give in order to get reputation, but you can also give in order to be redeemed. I've known people who have come, come up the ladder in life. Their status in life has been raised little by little. They were raised with nothing, perhaps, and now they have everything. And now they walk around with a deep sense of guilt because they see the people around them like struggling with financial issues, and they're like, I just don't have a struggle. Like, I have more than I ever could want. There's a deep sense of guilt that comes from actually making money. There's a sense of guilt from that. There can also be a sense of guilt because you've done something, and you know you did it, and you know you feel like on some some level like you are on the outs with God. You give, I mean, sometimes this happens in, in uh, you know, with celebrities, like they say something dumb that's racist or something like, or something that our society takes as racist. And immediately they, they say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better, trying to learn from my mistakes. Um, you know, I'm a work in progress. Oh, and by the way, I gave this much money to such and such an organization to prove that I'm not a racist or that I really do love poor people or whatever it is. It's to assuage guilt. It's to atone for what I did or what I said or who I am. That happens on a celebrity level, but it also happens on a personal level. Like maybe I've made too much money or I took advantage of somebody and now I just, I, I want to give back because I'm, I'm trying to redeem myself out of this situation. Or maybe you come to church and it's been a long time and you've screwed up your life and, you've, and, and things just don't feel like they're coming together and you're just like, man, I ought to just start giving. I ought to just start doing this. And you know what the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus day are saying? That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Load it up. Give everything. You got a credit card? Put it on the credit card. Yeah, God will forgive you. God will make things right. God will do that. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. The reality is that if you're going to atone for the things that you've done, if you're, if you're trying to buy reputation, if you're 
If you're trying to receive something, the truth is the widow, the poor widow is right. You have to give everything. It's not just sacrificial giving, it's everything giving. It's all of your money. It's all of your credit. It's every bit of it. Like, that's actually what would need to happen. Like, if you're trying to assuage guilt, if you're trying to get rid of a, a debt of sin, if you want to feel closer to God, you'd have to give absolutely everything. And not just of your money. What does it require? It requires every, not just cent you have, but every second you have. Every bit of gifting, every bit of time, every bit of everything, that's what you would need to give in order to completely absolve yourself of any guilt. You would have to give absolutely everything. So in one sense, this horrific religious establishment is right. Because the widow has something right. But that's just the bad news. Because the good news is this. The good news is that there's already somebody who gave everything for you. There's already somebody who sacrificed everything that they had to live on. Every last cent, they gave up their very life. Jesus gave up his life for you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes all of the things. He takes on all of the wrong reasons that we ever gave in the first place in order to receive, in order, in order to bolster our reputation, in order to be redeemed. Jesus takes on all of those wrong ways of, of, of seeking after those things. And he he absorbs them into himself. He takes all of our wrong motivations for giving, all of the reasons why we might have helped somebody. He takes all of the things that say, you know, I'm, I, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a pretty good girl, I'm, I don't really have that stuff, uh, I'm not really all that bad. He takes all of that stuff on, and he says, I'll be the one who takes it. I'll be the one who absolves you of it. I'll be the one who clears your name. And so what changes with our giving? So you can look at the passage, you can say, see, you haven't given enough. Are you bleeding yet? You're not bleeding yet. Are you, I mean, come on. You really sacrificed this month? Come on, you can give a little bit more. Put it on the credit card. No. See, now... When the gospel comes into your life and you, and you realize like 
What the woman gave is everything, and that's admirable, but even that alone is not enough. It would have to be her very life that would absolve her of all of her guilt, of all of her shame, of all of her stuff. But when you realize Jesus takes my place and he gives everything and he absolves me of, of this rat race of trying to, like, I've got to outgive. I've got I've to build my reputation. I've got to make myself look good. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Now, you can give in secret because your reputation doesn't depend on your gift. Your life is hidden in Christ. You can give in secret. You can give in proportion because you know that God is gonna take care of you. You can give proportionately to, to, what, you, to what you have. You, you can give and, and just go, okay, God, all right, we, this is a little much for us right now, but like, we're just praying that you're going to take care of us and we know you will, but it still feels a little bit scary. Now you can give proportionally because I know you gave everything for me. I know that you care about me. You can give joyfully because your redemption isn't dependent on what you give. You can't redeem yourself by giving more to this church or the next church or the little poor widow down the street or anything. You cannot redeem yourself through that. You have been redeemed and now you can give joyfully because I have been redeemed. You can give sacrificially because your hope is not in your things. It's not in your stuff. It's in your God. And if you're the widow, you don't have to give your last two pennies because your salvation doesn't depend on what you gave. Go to Wendy's. They got a 99-cent menu. And eat that junior bacon cheeseburger joyfully because Jesus isn't asking you for that. And if you're the Pharisee that's in line, getting ready to throw your stuff into this trumpet-shaped offering box, something has to be said. Turn around. She's right behind you. She's right there. Like, that's the irony of the whole thing. It's like, this guy's throwing money in there. He should have been going, hey, you look like you only have two bucks. Let me give you some of mine. Here you go. Here you go, here you go. See, Jesus came in to tear down a corrupt religious establishment, which isn't just found in his day, it's found in our day, and it's embedded into our culture. And he's inviting you not to give out of a deep sense of wanting to receive something, needing to assuage guilt, or what have you. He says, I want you to give just for the joy of it. I want you to give because I gave you so much. Can we go to the Lord's table this morning? Call the ushers forward here. And out where we partake of communion together, I'm just going to ask you to hop up here and uh, come.
come forward and grab communion if you're a believer here. Would you bow your heads with me? You know, before we take communion, we want to examine our lives, examine ourselves. Just examine all the reasons why we, why we have given or maybe why we haven't given. How we even deal with money, those kinds of things. But that's not even close to the first thing that Jesus wants to talk about with you. Jesus wants to talk with you about how he gave everything. See, the cross comes before we can give anything back of value. So Jesus wants you to remember your need for him and we remember our need for him in all of the ways that we've missed the mark. All of the ways that we've tried to earn all of the ways that we've tried to make ourselves feel good by what we gave to other people. Jesus wants you to contemplate even just other just stuff in your life, sin that is against him. And he wants you to remember all the time how he gave everything for you. And it's, it's, there's nothing required here from you. It's only required of Jesus. And so we, we acknowledge our sin before him and Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of his body. Jesus says, I didn't just give up my, my wealth. I didn't just give up my power. I didn't just give up my comfort. I didn't just give up everything that I had, the respect that I had. I didn't just give up all of those things. I want you to know that I gave up every last drop of blood for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus what you've given us. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you that it releases us from the shame and the guilt that comes from not giving enough, not having enough. Or thank you that we get to stand here freely. No matter what we've done, no matter where we are, we get to stand here freely in your grace and in your mercy this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.